0: 27, verse 27, the Bible says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall, and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him, and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him, and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. Before we continue reading, I don't know about you, but every time I read these verses I am always astounded at the audacity of these soldiers. Verse 32, the Bible said, and as they came out they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they Compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mixed with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head, his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified, With him, one on the right hand and another on the left, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Or in other words, they said the same thing. Verse 45 says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lamas the which is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And we'll conclude our reading there for this evening. You may be seated. Let's bow for a word of prayer and we'll get into the message that the Lord would have for us today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father we come in your presence once again as thankfully and humbly as we know how we thank you Lord for another opportunity God that we have not only to come into the house of God but to be able to open your word to be able to preach out of it God to be able to sing the songs Lord that we just sang to be able to have a time of fellowship have a time of sharing our burdens and our prayer needs to be able to pray together as a congregation Wednesday night the order of service may not be what other services are, but Lord God, the difference is something that I love and I'm thankful for in a midweek service, God, just to be able to spend this time with your people around the good things of God. And Father, I pray dear Lord, that more than just us spending time together and getting to preach and getting to sing, Lord, I pray that everything that's said and done has been more than just something that we do because it's right or something even to encourage ourselves or even just to lift our own spirits. But God, it's something that we do because you are worthy of praise, honor, and glory that we we do it because it is honoring to you. And Lord, it's what you would have. And God, you are worthy of all worship tonight. And I pray, dear God, that you have been worshiped in this place. Father, I pray, God, for the next few moments, let you forgive me of sin, empty me of self, fill me with your spirit, use me for your glory in the preaching. I pray, dear God, that you'd help me to only say the things that you'd had to be said and not say anything, God, that you wouldn't have to be said. God, I pray you'd put a watch over my mouth. God, protect, uh, Lord, what is said in this place. May it be that which pleases you and be that which you direct us to. Please, God, I pray, help me to have Holy Ghost a sermon, to know what to preach, what not to preach, uh, Lord, how to illustrate, how to apply the truth. Lord God, just everything that makes preaching effective, I pray, dear Lord, that you would touch me in such a way that what you use me as your human instrument to do would be effective and powerful In the lives of Your people. May sinners be saved. May lives be changed. May the people of God be fed. May backsliders get right. May You receive honor and reverence and glory. And Lord, may everything be accomplished in this place that You would have for it to be. Please, God, have Your will and way. Lord, I need You. Lord, I I I beg You to help me. And Father, we'll thank You, Lord, for what You do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen several Wednesday nights ago before we finished up a couple of different series that we needed to finish up uh, last Wednesday night and then the one prior. So this would have been a couple of Wednesday nights ago we were here in Matthew chapter number 27. I don't remember uh, I don't know whether you remember us being here or not uh, but if you were you would remember that out of this passage of Scripture of course we understand that this is the scene right around the cross of the Lord Jesus. We find uh, here that it is being mentioned uh, that Jesus has been arrested. When we come to verse number 27, He is there with the soldiers in the common hall, and uh, they are going to strip Him. They are going to put a scarlet robe upon Him. They are going to engage in mocking Him before uh, He heads uh, to be crucified. Uh, Literally, according to verse 31, to be led away uh, to be crucified by these soldiers. And then as we come to the end of what we have read together uh, publicly this evening, we find the account not just of the Lord on His way to Calvary, but we find the Lord arriving at Calvary, and then the events that take place as He is there being crucified uh, for the sins of the world uh, there on the cross of Calvary. Here we find in verse 33 that it talks about that place. It calls it Golgotha, that is a place of a skull, that word uh, Golgotha. Is echoed throughout the gospel accounts. And then, of course, the word that I have used several times already, uh, the word Calvary only appears one time in your Bible. And I heard one preacher put it this way He said, The word Calvary is only in our Bible one time. This was his opinion, and I have no problem with it, amen, because it is a reminder to all of us that there is only one Calvary, amen. There's only one need to go to that place, amen. There was only one sacrifice made on Calvary. And if you, as we sing around here sometimes, if you have ever made it to Calvary—not not physically, not taking a trip to Jerusalem—and not physically, but if you, in your heart and in your spirit, have ever taken have taken place in your heart the salvation that Calvary afforded to you, then you only have to do that one time. Amen. And we talked about that last week as we finished up our series on eternal security. But here in Matthew chapter number. 27, there's a phrase that last time we were here I tried to lift up out of the text or really a couple of phrases that pointed us to the idea that Jesus is the King. The Bible says there in our text it talks about the scarlet robe that they had put on Him. They'd stripped Him of His clothes and they put on Him a scarlet robe. It talks about how they put a crown of thorns upon His head. It talked about how they had put a reed in His hand that would have represented a King's scepter. Uh, that royalty would have in their hand that represented uh, their authority in the kingdom having a a scepter in the right hand it talked about how they bowed the knee mockingly before him as you would uh, to royalty when you in this day would have come into the presence of the king there would have been an obeisance that would have taken place there would have been a bowing or a curtsying or a a sign of respect and so uh, they did this in the presence of the Lord in mockery here They are not, uh, not worshipping Him. They are not uh, bowing the knee before Him in actuality, but uh, they are mocking Him. They said this, uh, and they said this, they said in verse number 29, Hail King of the Jews! And I, I talked about how uh, part of Jesus' ministry that enraged uh, the Jewish leaders and even enraged the Romans was the fact that as the Christ that He uh, would have been known as the King of the Jews. He would have been known as a king, and it infuriated the Jews because they did not want to accept him as their Messiah, and it infuriated the Romans uh, that were the political power of the day uh, because they did not want to recognize any authority, any king, any leader uh, other than Caesar. And here we find that Jesus stands as in this uh, this uh, case as an authority over both religion and government, and neither one of them like that. And so as we look through here and then of course the signboard above his head had uh, the accusation written this is Jesus king of the Jews. Uh, The the mockers uh, later on in the verse said if he be the king of Israel let him now come down from the cross and we will uh, believe him. And if you study the account of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ you cannot help but notice uh, all of the references to him being uh, the king of Israel. Israel. And so as we began to think about that kingship and that him being the king of Israel, I began to preach to you on the subject irony at Calvary. And the first thing with that idea of him being the king that we noticed is that, that, that it is ironic, if you will, that they are mocking him for being a king uh, because he actually is the king. Amen. And uh, you wouldn't think it would make sense to mock somebody for what they actually are as if they are are pretending to be or trying to put on a facade that they are that's what the Jews were doing they were saying that Jesus is saying that he's the king but he's not and they're mocking him for what he says he is but in actuality Jesus was not playing any games with them he wasn't trying to portray himself as something that he wasn't uh, Jesus all throughout his ministry amen as being one that is. he has God it is impossible for him to lie he never once tried to make up anything or try to portray himself as something that he was not. Every time he ever claimed to be the king, he was. Amen. And he is today the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We saw that he was the king of the Jews. We saw that he was the king of creation. We saw that he was the king most certainly. We saw that he was a king that was desired. We saw that he was the king of praise. We saw that he was the king of rejection. And we saw that him being the king of Israel tells us that he was more than just the king of Israel but that he was also the very son of God. And so we see the irony of his position in the fact that uh, they were mocking him as a king but that he actually was a king. Tonight I want us to move beyond just the irony at Calvary that we see in his position. And I want us to move into this this thought uh, that there is irony at Calvary when we see not only his position but when we see his power. You see the word irony. If if, uh, I'm sure most of you know, I don't want to insult your intelligence, but what irony essentially is is that it's something it's it it is where you are looking at something, and uh, it is it is uh, it is you know just like with Jesus that he those words there that is ironic in the sense that he is what they are thinking he's not. So here the next part of irony is when here uh, they are saying and it says that in these verses that Jesus looks as if he is powerless, but in all actuality he is ultimately powerful. I see irony in his power. Notice with me verse number 31. Notice these things, and, I, and I'm going, I'll, we'll see how far we get, but I definitely don't want us to rush over some of these thoughts. If there's any part in the Bible that we ought to take slowly, I believe it is these parts of the Bible that are right around the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 31, look at your Bible with me please, in verse number 31. The Bible says, and after that they had mocked him. They mocked him as the king. After they had done that they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him. Now let me say this before we go any further. They are mocking him. There was no need for them to take his clothes off of him originally. They take his clothes off of him, bearing a shame with that. They put on these clothes of mockery and then they remove him, they remove those clothes from him and put his own raiment on him again. And the Bible says here that they led him away to crucify him. If you notice here, Jesus is being led away for the purpose of being crucified. We do not find our Savior fighting back in these verses. We see that He is willing to drink the cup of God's wrath for you and me. We see that here that we find as you and I know that Jesus is the Son of God Amen. that He was, the Bible says in the book of Genesis and also in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, that he was there in the beginning of with God in the beginning of creation, and Jesus very well in this moment could have ended it all with a single spoken word of his power. The same God that said, Let there be light, and there was light, could have with a spoken word without exerting a bit of energy, could have ended it all. Right. Right. But here he is allowing himself. To be led away to be crucified. Here in that scene, if you look at it from a worldly perspective, from a humanly perspective, it looks like this man is powerless. It looks like this man has no ability to stop what is going on with him. And if you notice here in the Bible, in these verses, the Bible says that he is being led away to be crucified. In this moment, we understand that as Jesus is being led away We understand what crucifixion entails. We also understand what takes place prior according to the other gospel accounts, what takes place prior to the crucifixion of the Lord, and that is what the Bible calls the scourging of the Lord. You and I through Different movies that have been made and different sermons that we've heard. And maybe if you are uh, stu- studious enough, you might have read some articles or read a book or something of that nature that described uh, historically what a Roman scourging would have looked like. Uh, and I believe that when we come to the Bible, all of the beating that you hear about Jesus having done to him, all of the kind of non-tail whippings that we've all heard preached about, and we've all heard teaching about. All of those things, yes, did happen uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that gore and all of that is the biblical account of what took place to the Lord. The prophet was right when uh, he prophesied that uh, the Messiah would be uh, beaten, that the Messiah would be bruised for our iniquities, amen, for our transgressions. He would be wounded. All of those things took place. He was chastised. Amen. Uh, for being the one that would bear our sins upon the cross at Calvary, he all of that, all of that wickedness, all of that gore and pain and suffering, he really did endure. But I believe what took place on the scourging post uh, of the uh, religious leaders and with the Roman centurions, I believe the Son of God bearing those stripes, bearing uh, those, uh, bearing those beatings. Amen. I believe when they. They took their ungodly, unholy, wicked hands and grabbed his beard as the psalmist said, and they began to rip the beard out of his face as the psalmist said, amen, that he gave his back to the smiters and his face to the ones who plucked out the hairs. I believe that in those moments that there was something taking place that upon God's Son, amen, that while it was gory and wicked was something on the other side of glory that was taken place upon the Son of God that was so holy that we do not find details about it, even in the Word of God. You can search your, the Bible all throughout the Gospel record, all uh, up and down, frontwards and backwards, from one side to the next, and the most detailed account you will, be, uh, you will receive about the beating of the Lord is and they scourged Him. That took place before he got to Calvary. This is the Son of God, and as I said, the psalmist said he gave his back to the smiters. He had to give his back in that moment, because the, according to the Bible and according to his true nature as the Son of God, uh, Amen. That second, uh, that second part of the Godhead, God the Son, one hundred percent God and one hundred percent man. If he had not given them his back, he never would have been scourged. He would never would have been beaten. He never would have been bloodied. Amen. There'd have never been any stripes upon his back. But he gave His back for them to do that, and as He did so, the Roman centurions probably looked at what was going on and said, we are in complete control. The Roman centurions were obsessed with control. They were trained to be the most feared men in the world. They were the most powerful army on the planet in their day. A Roman centurion was a man that was literally trained to be a one-man killing machine. These men knew how to affect the maximum amount of pain and carnage with a single shot of a sword, a single shot of a dagger, a single shot of a whip, or of the cat of nine tails. They were trained to have minimal energy inflicted on their end, and maximum destruction and casualty on the end of their victim. These were killing machines. These were men that were obsessed with blood and killing. These are people that, were, that had, that had been, uh, been, had been, uh, had, had in, their, in their city and in their culture there was a great lust for blood, and one of the greatest entertainments of their day was casting criminals into an arena and watching lions and great beasts tear them apart limb from limb as thousands would cheer in excitement at carnage and gore and blood." These were men that were used to always being in control of their environment. There was never a day where things got beyond their grasp, or so they thought, in this day these men, as they scourged the Lord, and as they would subsequently take His broken body, as we uh, as we spent some time celebrating the other Sunday and worshiping the Lord for uh, in a time around the Lord's table, as we began to as we began to eat the bread and drink the uh, grape juice, as we celebrated and uh, and praised God over His broken body and His shed blood. Amen. As they took His broken body and led Him to Calvary and grabbed him and took him where they wanted him to go. In the back of their mind they probably said, this man is weak. He is powerless. We don't know how he's even alive, but even still he's on the verge of death. And if he makes it to Mount Calvary, if he makes it to Golgotha, we'll put him on the cross and we are still in control. As we read the pages of the Bible we see a man that looks like he is helpless that looks like he is at the mercy of of, of mortal men that looks like he is surrounded by these Roman centurions and that the many against one there is no hope for him to preserve his life. Brother James, somebody may look, some skeptic, some, some, uh, religious, uh, some, some religious rebel may look at where Jesus lays down on the cross, and you and I know Jesus said, no man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down freely, amen? We know the Bible says that, but some rebel, some infidel, spiritual infidel may look at that and say, I know why Jesus really laid down it's because he saw there was no way out. It wouldn't have been good to run. He wouldn't have been able to run. There was no light at the end of the tunnel and so he just gave himself to the wheel of the centurions knowing that it was all done for him and he was completely incapable of changing anything. That would happen on this moment. But remember Brother Charlie, I'm not preaching on the sad story of Calvary and poor, pitiful Jesus that was martyred or that was murdered. I'm preaching on irony at Calvary because they looked at one that seemed to be uh, that seemed to be uh, helpless, that seemed to be powerless, and even though he wasn't fighting back, and even though uh, he uh, was not trying, there's no doubt many that made it to the cross uh, tried to do, and I'm sure these centurions probably uh, wondered why he did not do as the rest did, because it was common, and it has been documented historically that men uh, that were put on the cross would fight their way off the cross, or try to, and would have to be subdued. You know what I find interesting? If you study history, this isn't. This is just just vaguely part of the message. Amen. But do you realize? that nails in hands and in feet when it came to crucifixion was not even the majority of the time the way they crucified people. The way that they crucified people the majority of the time was tying their hands to the cross. Tying their feet to the cross. You study history you'll find that out. Because you don't die from the cross from bleeding out. You don't die on the cross from, from just your injuries. You die on the cross from asphyxiation. Crucifixion was a way it was a very public way of causing you to suffocate to death. The way your hands are positioned, the way your body is positioned, it makes it almost impossible for you to get breath for an extended period of time, and they would leave you on the cross for as long as it took for you to suffocate to death, and once you strangled to death on the cross, then they would pull you down. This shows their hatred for Jesus. I personally believe it shows, the, it shows how much Jesus living to make it to the cross enraged these centurions to where they would nail him to a cross despite it not always being their procedure. But can I say this? It did fulfill scripture. Yes, sir. That's right. The Bible said he would be pierced through his hands and through his feet. It fulfilled the plan of God. As they are putting him on Calvary, they saw a man that as many others did, they did not fight back. He did not try to run. He did not try to predict himself. And as they looked at that, they would probably say, we have wore him out to the point to where he cannot even fight us anymore. Think about the horrors of crucifixion and what Jesus had at His disposal, that as the Son of God He could have done. But they thought He was powerless. Verse 39-42 through says, and they that passed by reviled him wagging their heads saying, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. I don't think anybody in the house tonight would disagree with me that if Jesus wanted to save himself, if Jesus wanted to rescue himself from the cross, he very well could have done just that. He says... Save thyself. He goes on to say, If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. And I think, I say again, Jesus very well could have done that. They go on to say, Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others himself. He, notice this now, cannot save. If He be the King of Israel, let Him now come down from the cross, and we will believe. They said, let Him prove Himself. If He's God, He's supposed to have power. If He's God, He's supposed to have ability. If He's God, He should be able to d- undo everything, that we've, that, everything that, that we've done to Him. Let Him come down from the cross. They said He saved others. Himself He can not save. Can I just remind you something tonight? That Christ and cannot do not belong in the same sentence. They said, he cannot save himself. He is absolutely powerless. He cannot save himself. He cannot undo what we have done. We've got him. Can I remind you what the Bible says? Psalm 147.5 says, great is our Lord, and of great power his understanding is infinite. I like like what this says. Take your Bible with me. Amen. If you can turn there quickly. I like what Hebrews chapter number one and verse number three says. Hebrews chapter number one and verse number three says this. Who, speaking about Jesus, talking about God's Son, says who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, talking about the person of God, the person of God the Father. And notice what Jesus does. The Bible says, and and upholding all things by the word of his power. If he can uphold everything. If he can keep this world going, if he, can, uh, if he can keep going everything in the world, amen, seen and unseen, if he can keep everything going, not only inside of this world, but in the universe that expands beyond just this one planet, if God can up you, you insert whatever you want to insert in there. The Bible said he, Jesus Christ, upholds all things by the word of his power. If he can do that, he can come off the cross. If he can do, if he can, if he can uphold all things by a spoken word, and as we've already talked about in Genesis, he created all things by a spoken word. He could have undone everything that they had ever done. He could have toppled the Roman Empire if he would have chose to by a spoken word. He's a God that has power. Take your Bibles to Colossians chapter number one. Colossians chapter number one, those of you preachers in here and Bible students, this is what you call proof text. You want to know how to use them? Talk to Brother Michael Caldwell, he's a master at proof text, amen. (laughs) Brother Michael will make one statement, have 45 verses to tell you why he made that one statement, amen. I love that kind of preaching, amen. Amen. Don't just say God's all powerful. Show me in the Bible where it says He's all powerful. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says this, for by Him this is speaking about Jesus, for by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. You say, preacher, what are you talking about invisible? Atoms, molecules, particles, things that we cannot see with the naked eye. says whether there be thrones or dominions, thrones that's visible, dominions, principalities, powers, those are invisible. There are things that take place according to the Word of God, even above our own heads, that we cannot see. There is a battle in the air. The forces of God and the forces of the enemy fight constantly above our heads, according to the Bible, things that we do not see. The Bible, notice this last phrase all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things and by Him all things consist. He is the head of the body of the church, the beginning, the firstborn of the dead and all things, that in all things He might have the preeminence for it pleased the Father, that in Him should all fullness dwell. Can I say this this evening? That sounds like a Christ that has power. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter number 1 and verse number 15 says this, wherefore I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love to all saints cease not to thank God for uh, cease not to thank God for uh, you, uh, uh, for you making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him and the eyes of your understanding be open that you may know what is the hope of, your, of His calling and, and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance of the saints and notice this now and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe according to the working of His mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body in the fullness of him that filleth all and all. Does that sound like a powerful Christ to you? One that has all power. One that has great, exceeding great power. One that has mighty power. Amen. The one, amen, that is above all power. That's the Christ that we have. The one that these centurions say, oh, he's powerless. Oh he's helpless Oh we've we've got it over on him He is subject to us Friend that's not what the word of God says This one that they look at And say he's powerless Friend he is all powerful The Bible said Not only does he have power And it's exceeding great power And it's mighty power But the Bible said he is above all power Amen If you take power He's above power. All the power in the world, He's above it all. Friend, thank God we have an all-powerful Christ. Can I say this? If that's who He is, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're going through, No matter what you're praying for, no matter what miracles you need the Lord to do in your family, in your home, in your life, in your body, in your spirit, in your soul, whatever you need. We have a God that has enough power to meet the need. Amen. Amen. Can I say this tonight? Turn your Bible to Luke 23 verse 43. Luke 23, 43. I've been preaching 37 minutes, got a couple more thoughts I want to give and we'll be done. Luke 23, 43. Wyatt, I did it again buddy, I asked him to turn and I didn't turn. <clears throat> he stayed on me a week about that. <clears throat> he said it was his favorite joke that I made while I was preaching. I said, son that wasn't a joke, that was just, its that just, just what happened. He thought it was funny, amen. <clears throat> Let's talk about the power that Jesus showed. I I told you that it was at Calvary, the irony at Calvary. At Calvary He looked powerless. I've shown you other places in the Bible that declares His power, but what about verses right around Calvary that shows His power? Luke 23, 43, can I submit to you that He had the power to grant access to Heaven? that's right Luke 23 43 this uh, this, uh, you know the story this malefactor this criminal this thief that was on the Lord's uh, on uh, next to the Lord there on the cross he said in verse 42 uh, the Bible said there Jesus uh, he said unto Jesus Lord remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom and Jesus said unto him verily I say unto thee today shall thou be with me in paradise." He said, you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me where the saints of God go in eternity. You will be there with me after you die. Amen. The same place I'm going when I die, we'll be there together. Amen. He gave him access to paradise. Can I say anybody that can give me access to heaven? He's not a powerless kind of a person, not a powerless God, but He's an all-powerful God if, if the Father in heaven lets Him, amen, be able to with His mouth tell people who's going to heaven, amen, and let's let's lets Him be the one that if there are gates, amen, you hear a lot about the gates, amen, I, I don't know a whole lot, amen, about what to expect when we get there. I will say this though, if He can swing the gates open wide for somebody like this man to just come walking in that's a powerful God. And, and this isn't part of the message, but can I just say this? The thief got in, and he got in because of Jesus, and he didn't have a chance in this moment when he called Him Lord, and he gave his, gave his life to Jesus when he called Him Lord. He had believed on the Lord there. Amen. The Bible said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When he called Him Lord is when he got saved, and Jesus looked at him and said, yeah, you're going to heaven for that. <laughs> Without baptism. He didn't have a chance to be baptized yet so you don't get to heaven by baptism. He didn't walk a church aisle because he was on a cross. He didn't didn't sign a card as a new convert. Amen. He didn't join a church. Amen. He didn't have time to do anything. He didn't pay any kind of penance. He didn't have to give money. Amen. To some kind of religious organization to get in or out. Amen. To get into heaven or out of hell. Amen. Like the Catholics of Amen. He didn't have a chance to do any of that. You know what he did? Exactly what you and I had to do to get to heaven. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He is so powerful that he has power to grant access to heaven. Now go with me to, amen, you're already in Luke 23. Look at verse 46 a couple of verses later. Can I submit to you this tonight? Not only did around Calvary, did he have the power to grant access to heaven, but he had the power to dismiss his own spirit. Look at verse 46, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice he said, Father into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus he gave up the ghost. If you are able to choose the exact moment your spirit leaves your body and you physically pass away, just like Brother Tommy said, that's power. However however you want to look at it, however you want to state it, that is a power that you and I do not fully understand. Only God has that kind of power. Historically speaking, I've told y'all this, I've preached this here numerous times. Historically speaking, most people that were arrested by the Romans that were scourged prior to Calvary, they weren't always scourged before they went to Calvary. They did that to the Lord Jesus, but not, they weren't always scourged, but sometimes they were. The ones that made it to a scourging post almost always died. Before they ever made it to the cross. Yes, sir. I, I've already told you, I believe that one of the reasons why they nailed Jesus' hands and his feet is because these Roman soldiers who were trained to be victims, uh, or, uh, or rather, they were chosen to be masters at the art of death and destruction, and they knew it is said historically that a Roman centurion could end a life with one hit. Yes, sir. And they laid dozens and dozens and dozens of them upon the Lord. And he wouldn't die, Brother Dean. He wouldn't die. I believe, I've told you all this, I believe with every strike it made those Roman centurions more and more angry because we are trained in death and that Jewish man will not die. Brother Lewis, there's a reason. To where they could beat him and beat him and beat him, to where history and the word of God says he was beaten beyond the visage of any man. He didn't even look human, looked like a mangled bo- looked like a mangled pile of flesh and, and meat stripped up to pieces. Josephus, the great historian, says that you could, have, you could see his organs through his back. He'd had so much flesh pulled off of his ribs. Brother Lewis, you know why a man in that kind of situation? I've seen people dead that wasn't mangled that much. I've seen people that have died in car accidents who didn't have any close to the amount of carnage that that is. Medically speaking, someone that is torn apart that much shouldn't be alive! Do you know why he was alive? because he could not he had so much power brother Lewis he could not die until he dismissed his own spirit if he I'm telling you I know people don't like this but I'm telling you I believe it according to the pages of the word of God if Jesus would have chose not to dismiss his spirit you would be able to go to a hill in Jerusalem tonight over 2,000 years later and he'd still be alive hanging on a cross Ooh he wouldn't have chose to dismiss his spirit, Brother Tommy, I believe with all my heart he'd still be hanging very much alive. He you'd say, Preacher, what about old age? It wouldn't matter to him. He can't touch him unless he let it touch him. The only reason why Jesus lived to be 33 and a half years old is because he let, he let old age touch him. Jesus did not sin aging and and, and aging is a sign of our slow death and that is a result of sin Jesus did not sin the only reason why he began to age is because he let age touch him as a human man he wouldn't have died of old age on the cross his flesh wouldn't have rotted because for decay to come upon his body he would have had to give it permission to do so They looked at one they thought was absolutely powerless. But here as we look at iron hit Calvary we see one that wasn't powerless but was all powerful. He had the power to grant access to heaven. He had the power to dismiss his own spirit. Can I say this? He had the power to mobilize servants who were not of this world. Take your Bible with me to John chapter number 18. John chapter number 18. John chapter number 18. Look with me at verse 34. Jesus here is having a conversation with Pilate. In his conversation with Pilate, we see some things taking place that would have baffled a Jewish individual that expected their Messiah to come as a great military warrior and a great political leader. Jesus says some things that absolutely turns over that, that philosophy. Look at verse 34, Jesus, they said in verse 33, Pilate entered the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, art thou the king of the Jews? Remember all this whole scene at Calvary is centered around that, are you king of the Jews? Yeah. Verse 34, Jesus answered him, this is what he said, he said, sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee? In other words, are you asking me yourself, am I king of the Jews, or is somebody encouraging you to ask me this? Pilate answered, am I Jew? Thine own nation and chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? In other words, Pilate's letting them know, I don't care, I'm not a Jew. I don't care whether, whether you are or whether you're not. I'm asking this because of them and why you're here. Look at what Jesus said in verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. He's looking at a man that has governmental authority and power that is only earthy. Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. They're having a conversation about his position as a king. He says that he, he's letting them know, and he says it in other places, he lets them know without hesitation that he is a king. But here he adds to that my kingdom is not of this world. Notice this statement now, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight? That I should be delivered, that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Can I say this this evening? Pilate and the Jewish leaders should be very thankful that Jesus, while he was the Messiah, was not choosing to come in the way that they thought he would come. Jesus here is being looked at one as if He is powerless and they said if He is the King of the Jews let Him come down from the cross. When He began to make cries from the cross they said oh He's calling for Elias. In other words He's looking toward heaven and calling for help. Can I say this this evening? I, they did not know what was taking place. They did not understand what was behind those seven sayings from the cross. But I'll say this, they bet, and I bet you they are tonight, amen, having gone out into eternity and having to know the truth of having having become in eternity not knowers of the truth of it all. I can promise you this evening, they're very glad that when Jesus was calling up to heaven and he was talking to his Father in heaven, that he was not calling for it help because Jesus said if he would have done that then his servants would fight do you know who his servants are we call them angels in heaven as God he would have been able to dispatch. The Bible says legions of angels. Six to ten thousand made up a legion. Legions of angels to come on his behalf. Someone that can dispatch heavenly armies upon a whim or a fault or just a single decision is one that wields great power. Now turn the page to John 19 if you will. He had the power. Around Calvary, he had the power to grant access to heaven. He had the power to dismiss his own spirit. He had the power to mobilize servants that were not of this world. Then in John 19, verse number 10, we see that he had the power uh, to give, uh, that he has the power, amen, to give power. Notice verse 19. Look at verse number 10. He said, the Bible said, then saith Pilate unto him, speakest thou not unto me? Notice what Pilate said to Jesus now knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and to have and I have power to release thee? Let me just say this tonight: it is not good to threaten the Lord <laughs> He said, You're not talking to me. You need to answer me when I speak to you. Your life and death or rele- your, your execution or relief, your life or release, your life or your death is in my hands. That's what Pilate said. I don't know if, if you're enjoying this or not, but I'm telling you, I had a time in the study and I'm having a time right now. Right. Verse 11, Jesus answered. Thou couldst have no power. Notice this. If, if no power is not good enough, he said, No power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Jesus is the one that has so much power. Remember? They looked at him as if he was powerless, helpless. He needed them to help him out. They looked at him as he was so powerless. They called a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene just to help him carry his cross. They said, this man's hopeless. This man's helpless. This man's a victim. This man is weak and powerless. Let's have another human being help him carry his cross. Jesus is so powerful. You find anybody in this world that has any level of power He had to give it to them in order for them. You know what that means? When the Bible said that He has all power, that's exactly what it meant. (laughs) He has access to all the power that ever will be, and if He wants you to have some, He's going to take a little bit and He'll give it to you. But you're not going to have it unless he does. Right. If somebody else is going to have power, he's going to take a little bit, and he's going to give it to them. He's going to give you your area of influence, your level of, of power, amen, and, and, and might, and authority, amen. Pilate thought he was talking to one that, had, had, that he had more power than, and Jesus says, no, no. The power you have has come from me. You can't do anything at all unless I let it happen. Here's the last thing I'll give tonight. Irony at Calvary when it comes to the Lord's power. He had the power to grant access to heaven. He had the power to dismiss His own spirit. He had the power to mobilize servants that were not of this world. You and I don't even know how to talk to people except for God that are not in this world. All of those outside the world are within His grasp of authority. He had the power to give power. Lastly, He had the power, go with me to Matthew 27, Matthew chapter number 27 verse 50, He had the power to affect nature. He had the power to affect nature. Look what happens at the scene of Calvary, this is the last one I'll give tonight, Matthew 27 and verse number 50, Matthew 27 and verse number 50. The Bible says this, Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. He dismissed his spirit. We talked about that a minute ago. As soon as he did that, notice what happens. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. That is a miracle within itself. If you study the dimensions of just that curtain in the temple, it was so thick that you're not going to tear it. The Bible says, and by the way, if a man were powerful enough to tear it, as tall and as big and as magnificent as the temple was, man would have to start at the bottom where we are looking up at it to try to tear it. The Bible says it was torn from the top to the bottom. In other words, there was a mighty big God that was above that temple and bigger than that temple that t- decided that it was time for the, the, for the veil of the temple to be ripped. Amen. And by the way, that veil of the temple represented a separation between man and God. And when Jesus died in our place as, our, as the payment for our sin, God let the veil be torn and access to God to be available to all of us. Amen. The veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. The earth did quake and the rocks rent. I don't know if you've tried to cut a rock in half recently. Tried to slice one in half. I, I haven't been able to do so yet. Amen. The Bible said the graves were open. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went in to the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion when they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that were done in other words the, the movement of nature the, the effects of his, of his spoken words as his life ended as he yielded up the ghost as he died on Calvary his death affected everything around him to the point to where this centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God. This text around the cross of Calvary seems to point to a man that was powerless seems to point to a man that needed help seems to point to a man that human beings were controlling and were were uh, was having power over and was able to easily manipulate and to force to do their will but all the time he was a man that was so powerful While they thought they had all the power and He was doing their will, He was a God that was all powerful and He was so powerful that while they thought He was doing their will, they were doing His. (laughs) When you're tempted in this world to think that our God might not have enough power to handle whatever you're dealing with, just remember He's an all-powerful Christ. He has the power to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. He did it at Calvary. He did it to save your soul, and He can do it to save your life. He can do it to save your circumstances. He can do it to deliver you from anything you're dealing with tonight. When you speak to our Heavenly Father, you're speaking to the one that the Bible says has all power. Remember that in these days. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.